We'll start the JX with a new segment. Fresh Eyes is a podcast created by Ashland High School's student-led Truth to Power Club. Already award-winning podcasters, this group of students has teamed with JPR to explore regional issues with a youth perspective. In this first episode, they look at an organization called Parents Defending Education, which denounced it had filed a federal civil rights complaint against the Ashland School District. PDE has been filing complaints across the country, claiming discrimination by affinity groups in the schools. Affinity groups are clubs like the Black Student Union, the Queer Straight Alliance, and the Women's Affinity Group at Ashland High School. The Truth to Power Club investigated the complaint and the basis for it, as well as the group complaining. Here's Fresh Eyes. It's January 5th, and we're editing our school newspaper for print. Our teacher shows an email from ASD superintendent. It tells us that our school district is the subject of a federal civil rights complaint from a group called Parents Defending Education. As of that day, the U.S. Department of Education is determining if we're to be investigated. You're listening to Fresh Eyes, where we explore regional issues from a youth perspective. In this episode, we discuss a federal complaint made by Parents Defending Education Against Ashland School District Affinity Groups. Fresh Eyes is brought to you by Truth to Power on Jefferson Public Radio. I'm Mason Decker. I'm Isadora Malay. And I'm Simone Starbird. The past couple of weeks, we've been doing our own investigation to see if the federal complaint by Parents Defending Education, or PDE, has a basis. The complaint states that Ashland School District's affinity groups are exclusionary and therefore in violation of the law. For clarity, affinity groups are formed by people gathering around a shared interest, focus, or identity. Along with two job openings for elementary student affinity group advisors, PDE presented the AHS website page that lists all of the school's affinity groups, when and where they meet, their faculty advisors, and their mission statements as evidence. The list includes race-centered groups such as Black Student Union and Asian Student Union, but also others like Women's Affinity Group and Queer Straight Alliance. PDE filed similar complaints against Portland Public Schools in Maine and Shelburne Community Schools in Vermont. Their website makes their mission as a nonprofit clear, quote, to reclaim our schools from activists imposing harmful agendas, end quote. They published a video stating that, quote, In K-12 schools today, activists are pushing a radical new agenda. Instead of creating educated individuals, they are trying to create activists, turning blank slates into members of racial, ethnic, or gender groups in conflict with each other. Furthermore, PDE claims that, quote, political indoctrination, end quote, by activists in the classroom is a problem in America. The website includes an indoctrination map where a visitor can click on a school district anywhere in the country and see how many incidents have occurred in the area. The map asserts that ASD has seven incidents, though it remains unclear what the incidents are. So what we're curious about is if the affinity groups at Ashland High School are actually exclusive. Also, what motivates PDE to file these complaints around the nation, and what might result from this complaint? To explore these questions, we interviewed a variety of members of our Southern Oregon community with a focus on AHS student perspectives. Unfortunately, PDE was not available to give their personal comments on the issue. We first wanted to learn what AHS students know about the school's affinity groups, along with their thoughts about the purpose of having such groups. Uh, My name is Hayden Newald Thomas. I am 17 years old and I'm a senior at Ashland High School and I am involved with the Black Student Union. I think they're definitely very beneficial. Um, 
I think a, like a really main main part of all of them is that it gives people who might share the same ideas or similarities with their identities, helps them sort of get together and have more like civil uh, discussion or interaction around whichever you know thing they identify as. Like for the, for the Black Student Union, sometimes it can get really uncomfortable when you're talking about. Um, issues that sort of like revolve around what it means to identify as someone who's African-American. That's something that you can't really have a discussion about just around the school. So I think it gives people a safe, a safe place to sort of discuss topics they want to talk about that might be a little bit more sensitive to others. Alex Donnelly, I'm 18. I go to Ashland. I did play football last year, but I just know that there's a Black Student Union or Queer Straight Alliance and stuff like that at the school. Do you think that affinity groups are helpful and beneficial to our school at all, or vice versa? I'd imagine so. I've never been a part of one, so I wouldn't know. But from what I've heard, they're all good. I am Celia Bertrand. I'm 17 years old, and I go to Ashland High School. Um, I think they're a great way for students to be able to feel connected with others, especially in such a predominantly white school. I think it's great that kids of color can have a community where they're surrounded by people that look like them. Parents defending education also have their own ideas on what affinity groups are and their impact within schools. The following is an excerpt from an interview with PDE featuring President Nicole Neely speaking and is taken from their YouTube channel. So racial affinity groups are, um, they also go by safe spaces, healing spaces, but they're, they're school-sponsored activities where children are segregated on the basis of skin color and talked, you know, they talk about events in the news, they're taught to process different um, events, but, you know, what it sends is this underlying message of that children process emotions differently, news events differently, based on immutable characteristics, which is absolutely abhorrent that this kind of thing is being taught in our K-12 schools around the country. And your organization actually- While Nicole Neely views the impact of affinity groups as, quote, abhorrent, other individuals think differently. I'm Tamaya Wiki. I'm a senior at Ashland High School, the president of Native American Student Union, and a member of the Truth to Power Club. Most of the time growing up, I've been the only Native American kid or the only Maori kid and at NASU, I found kids who identify as Pacific Islander and kids that identify as Indigenous to North America. And that's really beautiful because there's, I've never been able to experience that throughout my education. I've always felt welcomed by affinity groups. When we're together, we're able to envision a school, a community, and a world where we celebrate each other and we lift each other up and encourage each other. And I think that's really beautiful because so many times we're put in situations to fight against each other. My name's Asher Clayson. I am a senior at Ashton High School. I am not a part of any of the affinity groups here at Ashton, but I am a part of Key Club and a member of National Honor Society. And I was on the soccer team all four years here. I don't know much. Um, it's like the black and Latin and whatever student unions. I think they're cool. I don't really see, I don't see a problem with them. I, they put on activities sometimes at school. I think that's kind of cool. I think they're helpful because they just kind of serve as like a means of bringing people together and like just a group for someone to be a part of because everyone likes to feel a part of something. I don't think they're necessary. Like we'd be okay without them, but I think they definitely do uh, more good than bad. I don't really think of any bad that I can't think of any bad that they would do. So my name is Gabriel Hernandez. I'm the co-president of Latin Student Union at the high school. I run track, play soccer. 
I am in the Youth Advisory Council for the City of Ashland. I am in EDI. I mean, I think they have a, a vital role at our school because a lot of students, they don't have that voice with administration. And when they band together in student unions or affinity groups, it gives them a chance to have needs that might not otherwise be recognized met at an administrative level. It also gives them like a community. Um, I'm Parker Greaves. I'm the co-president of Women's Affinity Group at AHS and a member of Truth to Power Club. Yeah, they're really designed to be um, safe spaces for marginalized communities at AHS. They generally focus on creating space where people within those communities are able to talk about things that are bothering them and they work together to try and create change to make the school a safer place for um, marginalized people. My name is Elliot Feenstra. I am 34 years old. I live near Cave Junction, Oregon, and I am one of the two co-leads for the LGBTQ plus listening project at the Rogue Action Center. So all students like deserve to feel safe and supported and have a school environment that feels good. And you know, for students of color and trans and gender non-conforming students and other marginalized group of students, that means paying attention to their specific needs, not just that everyone gets the same thing. That's not equity, you know? And one of the things that is a clear need, I mean, for LGBTQ students is meeting with other people like them. You know, it doesn't hurt anybody. Why should students learn, like be supported in their self-expression and have educational environments that support difference and critical thinking and questioning and are grounded in history? Like, because that's what, that's what we need in our society that um, allows us to work together to solve the pressing issues that are like facing our communities and to work across difference. PDE emphasized in their complaint that the affinity groups at AHS are exclusionary. We were curious to see if this argument was well-founded in the experience of students. I don't have any sort of experience with, with the Black Student Union being uh, exclusive to anyone. I know that, and I'm pretty sure it's the same case with any other student union here. Yeah, we've never kicked someone out because, you know, they feel like we don't, they don't belong or that they're not like black enough or something like that. And if anything, we, we want people from, you know, other perspectives of life to, to come in who are open to participating in discussion or if they just want to listen, that's okay too. But um, I think it's important that we get everyone's perspective. I think to shut someone out because they don't identify with exactly what we identify would just wouldn't really fit with what we're trying to do. I've never heard any of my Caucasian friends or telling me that they, you know, feel like they can't go to the, the Latin Student Union or the BSU or other affinity groups. Have you ever had an experience with affinity groups or know somebody who has where you felt excluded or shamed in any way from something that they've done? No. Have you ever wanted to join an affinity group but have not been able to? Or do you know somebody who's wanted to but hasn't been able to? Not to my knowledge, no. Yeah, so as a white person, I have no issue with not being a member of any of the racial affinity groups. And like as myself, as the co-president of Spanish Honor Society, as a white person, like I feel like I've been able to work with other affinity groups and with people of other different races. Do you think that there's any potential harm in forming those groups that it that it hurts people outside of those groups at all? 
I mean, really simply, like, no, I don't. <laughs> so creating totally separate environments, like, has turned out to generally negatively impact those who are, like, more marginalized. But that feels like a really different thing than creating affinity groups, like temporarily creating separate spaces to process different experiences and then come back together is a positive practice that has a lot of documentation that that is supportive in organizations. As a double Indigenous person from two places on different hemispheres, I found it really hard to find a place where both of my Indigenous identities are celebrated, recognized, and come together. And NASU really is a place where anybody can come. I've also made it my priority as a president to make sure that people feel welcome because Indigenous identity is so complex and nuanced and people identify in different ways. We have people who are Indigenous to Asia, Indigenous to Pacifica, Indigenous to North America. I recognize historically there have been so many policies and systems in place that have excluded Indigenous voices and I know that NASU is a place where everybody can come, including allies. And so we have white allies, we have people from all different places coming together to celebrate indigenous identities because there's very few spaces where all of us can come together. As we interviewed some students, there was confusion around whether or not affinity groups were actually exclusive and only open to people of certain demographics. Both Ashland School District and individual affinity groups state verbally and in writing that these affinity groups are in fact open to everybody. So, the question around affinity groups' exclusivity lies more around whether or not students feel comfortable attending them if they desire to do so, not if they can attend. If somebody who wasn't Latin wanted to join your union, like, what would your response be? Yeah, they can, they can come, they can learn. We don't have any, like, negativity towards that. Like, if you are interested in Latin cultures, you can come. Um, at the beginning, there was, like, two people who weren't Latin who showed up with their friends just to spend time with their friends and they they said they enjoyed the meetings and they were welcome there it wasn't discriminatory towards them at all you can just come to our meetings like it's not um, exclusive in any way the only thing that we have is just a community so it's it's basically the same as like a facebook group i don't think you'd call a facebook group for latin people or whatever group of people like racial segregation or something segregation like we have nothing saying that a white person can't be in a student union for people of color um we women's affinity has men in it so the whole point of affinity groups is that they are designed to uplift the people that they are representing that does not mean that they are cutting down the people that aren't part of that community. That's not how it works. Regardless of how AHS students feel, the Federal Department of Education will be deciding whether or not the complaint by PDE is well-founded at AHS and backed by legal precedent. To get an idea of what might happen, we talked to AHS teacher Peter Bowling about his personal analysis of the complaint. So yeah, Peter Bowling, I teach at Ashland High School. I teach AP government and a class called Politics and Literature. I know that there was a court case that was settled involving affinity groups in, in public schools, and the case was settled when the district changed the wording on affinity groups that said they are open to everyone. And of course, Brown v. Board um, overturns Plessy v. Ferguson, and the, the specific item there was segregation in public schools. 
Um, and that's the broad item. And then less broadly is inside of public schools, the principle would be that you can't segregate based upon a demographic feature of a person like, for example, their race, right? So it doesn't seem to me that there is really any legal basis for a case against affinity groups if the affinity groups are open to everyone. Now, with that said, there's two kinds of open. There's de facto and de jour, right? So being actually open and people feeling comfortable attending an affinity group would be appropriate to the law. If we, the school district says, okay, they're open to everyone, but nobody actually feels comfortable, well, then I think that's problematic. Now, I don't think at Ashland High School there's going to be anybody who feels uncomfortable attending an affinity group uh, if they don't belong to that particular demographic. So, no, I, I don't think that there's any case here for that organization. And I think the district got ahead of the curve by sending out a description of affinity groups and that they are open to everyone. In October of 2021, PDE filed a lawsuit against Wellesley Public Schools on a similar basis. Wellesley Public Schools had race-based affinity groups, one of which stated in writing that white-identifying students were not welcome. In February of 2022, they reached a settlement and agreed that WPS would not exclude any students from any activities based on race, and that all activities would be advertised to all students. According to the text of the statement, Wellesley admitted to holding three different affinity group sessions and sending communications that implied that students would be excluded from the sessions based on race. In addition, it held in its racial affinity group policy that an affinity group was, quote, an opportunity for people from within an identity group to openly share their experiences without risk of feeling like they will offend someone from another group and without another group's voices. Furthermore, when inviting students to participate in affinity groups, the school requested that only members of the target demographic of the group attend. In their lawsuit, PDE asserted that for these reasons and others, the school was in violation of the 14th Amendment by treating students differently based on race. To remedy these issues, PDE requested that the school be barred from enforcing discriminatory policies and, quote, otherwise segregating or separating students based on race, either through the use of affinity groups or any other policy, end quote. The school district agreed in the settlement to clarify that all students are able to attend affinity group sessions and to cease the exclusion of students from events based on race. Whether the criteria that led to the Wellesley case applies to Ashland is unclear. Like Wellesley, PDE accuses Ashland School District of violating the 14th Amendment by treating students differently based on race. They note in their complaint that Ashland High School has Native, Black, Asian, and Latino student unions, and that the descriptions of those affinity groups specifically welcome the target demographic of the group, but don't specify whether or not other students are encouraged or allowed to attend. The complaint also notes Ashland School District's recent job posting for an elementary student affinity group advisor, whose duties would include inviting new members to affinity groups, as well as keeping records of the group's attendance. Notably, while Wellesley had language explicitly indicating that students could be denied entry to events or groups based on race, Ashland School District doesn't have similar policies in place surrounding its affinity groups. This is the only case regarding racial discrimination in schools that PDE has won. Informed with this newfound legal background surrounding Parents Defending Education's discrimination complaint, we were curious to learn what students at AHS thought about the complaint and what it might be founded on. I 
think overall my first impression was that the whole thing just seems kind of funny like it almost seems like a big prank because there seems to be no grounds for parents defending education to be able to stand on to try to sue Ashland High School. I can't see any infringement upon the 14th Amendment so it just seems ridiculous that they think there's a case here. Do you feel like it has any like basis or that it's well founded or the opposite just like any thoughts about this that it's happening? No I think that those kids parents are just annoyed that their kids aren't part of something. Do you think that there's options at the high school for kids who don't fall into any of like the categories of the affinity groups for them to join other things like sports or oh, yeah, other clubs ease. and stuff? They can easily go join something with the school. Mm -hmm. What are they complaining about? Like that they're exclusive? I don't I don't know. That just seems like a really petty thing to complain about when there's a bunch of other things that they should be complaining about that actually need fixing. For example, like why we have so many kids and families leaving Ashland School District to attend Medford schools. I feel like that's a more pressing issue than and the affinity groups. I've never heard about someone being turned away from any of these groups, and I just I just simply couldn't see that happening with any groups here. I think it's important that, that we do look into like any sort of case of exclusivity, uh, if they can find one. I don't think that's something that's just school-wide with, with all the groups. It could just be maybe just one group, one day, someone tried to come in, they felt excluded. But I just don't think that this is uh, an actual realistic issue. I'm not really sure what this is founded on. With the ambiguity around why Parents Defending Education actually filed their complaint, we wanted to hear more about what might be motivating the group and other similar movements. We asked Elliot Feenstra, who has worked extensively around the Grants Pass I Resolve movement, what his thoughts and experiences are with groups like PDE. These groups, which seem local, are actually just um, manifestations of this bigger national right-wing um, project, you know, that's trying to kind of use our communities as a place to pilot these really far right ideas and that are symptomatic of a like reactionary backlash to civil rights and this kind of gasping attempt of like white uh, supremacy to preserve itself. This movement kind of brands itself and often talks in a way that's using like social justice language and seems like it's moderate and nonpartisan and that they're supporting civil rights and civil civil liberties and anti-discrimination and even like with the i resolve movement that it's coming from a place of care and concern for students learning from elliot about the way language can be used by groups like pde we were curious to explore how parents defending education defined themselves this is a clip from a video on their website declaring their mission and purpose. Parents Defending Education can help. We are a national, nonpartisan organization mobilizing parents to stop the politicizing of our children's education. We empower parents with the knowledge, tools, and support they need to fight back. We publish Know Your Rights guides so you know when schools and teachers are crossing the line. We help you get organized, on message, and engage with local officials so your voice is heard. We expose wrongdoing and extremism by investigating and shining a media spotlight on political indoctrination in your school. We help you file civil rights complaints, and when necessary, we'll take schools to court. Unfortunately, PDE did not respond to our requests for personal comments regarding their views on this issue.
these narratives are being used as a cover for like explicitly racism and far, racist and far right ideas, even though they seem like well intentioned and you know focused on justice. But that actually what it's doing is obscuring the very real impact of race and gender and uh, transphobia and racism in people's lives. So, you know, there's mountains of data that demonstrate that race and gender and disparities exist that impact students of color and trans and LGBTQ students, whether or not we recognize that, you know? And so like the, the idea that we're living in this post-racial world where identity is just divisive and talking about it covers up, like actually serves to reinforce and protect like those injustices um, and not make life better for students, you know? The way that we treat racism and sexism a lot of the time is like, we should all be equal and therefore we should be like colorblind or we should, you know, pretend that gender doesn't matter and stuff like that when, you know, those things do matter and there are differences and it's more of a issue of like those differences should be celebrated rather than condemned and treating everyone like they're exactly the same is uh, just the opposite end of the same spectrum. There's a couple different arguments that the parents' rights groups are making. So one of those arguments is that talking about identities is divisive. And that if we don't talk about race or gender, and definitely if we don't divide people into affinity groups to talk about those differences of experience, then we'll all feel more of a sense of unity and community. And that community and unity and equity and justice come from ignoring differences between us and not talking about them. That's not true. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, like, Let's see, we did a survey in 2020 of LGBTQ plus folks in Josephine and Jackson County, and we heard that 74% of LGBTQ youth in our area have experienced harassment and bullying because of their gender, sexuality, or appearance. And 87% of LGBTQ youth felt like they needed to move out of this area to live a good life. And so if we can't talk about why that is and what is creating that difference, we, we can't get traction on like changing those things. You know, there's super high rates of LGBTQ youth like thinking about suicide and that rate is much lower if you feel supported and affirmed and recognized. And that affirmation comes from recognizing, respecting, affirming their identities and experiences, not pretending that they don't exist. The complaint makes me sad because it's another example of people trying to divide people of color, but also create a system that is exclusive, which is ironic because the complaint complains about exclusivity. But really, I think the affinity groups are creating a sense of belonging. It's not exclusive. We're welcome to everybody, including allies. We have joint ideas and activities together, and it really enriches not only the diversity, the education, but like the quality of these students' experiences. Until the Department of Education finishes reviewing the complaint against Ashland School District, we won't know the future of affinity groups in Ashland.
However, what we can do is continue to educate ourselves on all the issues this complaint brings to light. In our increasingly polarized world, it is inevitable that the type of discourse demonstrated in this podcast will continue. Ensuring that students have the opportunity to feel safe and included within school should be a national priority. Listening to students and community members can inform us on how to achieve this goal. So, when considering cases like the one between Parents Defending Education and Ashland School District, it is important to listen to those directly affected and form a response that will help our communities grow into more safe, inclusive, and equitable spaces. We hope that through this podcast, you can discern what type of school community is best suited for the success of every student. You've been listening to Fresh Eyes, brought to you by Truth to Power on Jefferson Public Radio. Truth to Power is a teen-led club in Ashland, Oregon that centers around cultivating community action through social justice podcasts and transformative projects. To learn more about Truth to Power, you can visit our website at truththepowerclub.com or check out our Instagram and Facebook at AHS Truth to Power Club. This podcast was produced by Isadora Malay, Mason Decker, and Simone Starbird with music by Danielle Lopresti and royalty-free Roman Sank Music. We'd like to thank all our interviewees and the JPR team for their additions to this podcast.